You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, guys. This is Pastor Ryan. I'm glad that you are tuning in from your home, sitting on your couch. So glad that you have joined us today. Um, We are in the message series called Intentional Living, and I wanted to help you walk through kind of what it looks like for parenting. Today, I've titled the message, Surviving Parenthood in a Global Pandemic. And so the reality is, is it is not easy. Before I get started, I want to share with you a funny story I heard recently. I heard a story of a young boy who had just gotten his driving permit. He asked his father, who was a minister, if they could discuss the use of his car. The father took him into his study and said to him, I'll make you a deal. If you, uh, if you bring your grades up, you study your Bible, and you get a haircut, we'll talk about it. About a month later, the boy came back and said again and asked his father if they could discuss the use of the car. They again went to the father's study, and the father said, well, I've seen that you're, I'm really proud of you. I, I've seen that you brought your grades up, and you're starting to study your Bible diligently, but you didn't get a haircut. And the young man waited a moment and replied, he said, well, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about it too. You know, Samson had long hair, and Moses had long hair, and Noah had long hair, and even Jesus had long hair. To which the father replied, yes, and they walked everywhere they went. I've got a 15-year-old boy who's looking to drive himself, and so today uh, we're going to get into what parenting really looks like. You know, it's interesting, this uh, pandemic has put pressure on parents all around the world, this COVID-19 pandemic, and it's uh, pressured us worldwide. There's challenges for parents. The schools have been shut down. There's been the shelter in place and the lockdown orders. And we've seen some recent news where things are starting to reopen, but it's been tough. Over the last couple of months, we've seen travel restrictions closed, outdoor opportunities restricted, recreation limited, and it's produced a lot of challenges for parents and for kids. For many parents at home with kids, workplaces have closed, and so this has put challenges on them to supervise their kids, and the parents are experiencing a lot of stress stress right now. While many families in our church have been okay, uh, there's a lot of families that have been out of work. Workplaces, other workplaces remain open, but yet the they prevent schools or daycares from staying open. And so this has created another challenge for parents to constantly be there, to, to be that in-for or that, that, that provision of childcare when they were dependent upon it in times past. In, and so now there is also workplaces that are using the internet and that's good and many folks are working from home. But the challenge for the parent is, is that they have a hard time being a parent and working at the same time. And what about the kids? I think about the little ones. In our church, we've recently had a number of families that have had babies, and we celebrate the birth of new kids in our church. And the reality is, is these kids, while they may not know what's going on, they can feel the stress of mom and dad. Parenthood is in a crisis right now. And for the school-aged children, uh, they're at home and some of them have not been given a lot of instruction and so they're 
floundering and trying to figure out how to finish out the school year. And for the older kids, they're not going to have a graduation, at least not in person, most likely. And so we're faced with these challenges where the kids are experiencing a lot of challenges and frustrations and the parents are overloaded with stress. And today what I want to do is be able to kind of review back with you some of those primary passages in the book of Ephesians about what it looks like for parenting. There's a couple myths, though, that I think that we have fallen into as parents, uh, perhaps over the years. The first myth, I, I like to say, is that good parents don't make many mistakes. That, that's a myth. Every parent makes mistakes. And the older I get in my parenting, the more I realize, the less I know. I remember when Leslie and I didn't have kids, I taught a message of something like this, 10 rules for raising righteous kids. And then after the birth of our twins, I changed that message a little bit to seven guidelines for godly kids. And then after the adoption of our last child, it it turned into three strategies for raising good kids. And now in the midst of teenagers and an eight-year-old, I can only offer four suggestions to survive parenthood. So the reality is, is that the longer you go at this as a parent, the more you're going to realize you make mistakes. There's a myth out there that says if you're a parent, then you can't make mistakes or show kids your mistakes. That's not a good idea. The Bible teaches us the reality that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the very book of the Bible, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we see that the Bible talks about how sin entered the world and then infected and affected everything and everyone. The reality is there's no perfect parents. So that myth ought to be busted. Number two, there's another popular parenting myth that says that godly parenting guarantees godly kids. It's taken from the idea of Proverbs that when you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. The problem with that, if you take that as an absolute promise, I think you've stretched the text to say something that the author didn't intend to. Every time you approach the Bible, you want to approach the Bible and understanding its historical context and this key idea called authorial intent. It means the author's intent. What was the author's intent behind this literature that is written? We have gospel narratives that produce stories like the Gospel of Luke, who's a historian and a physician, records and documents the life and the details of the life of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We have other books in the Bible, such as the Proverbs, which have been called wisdom literature um, from a scholarly standpoint. That means that they provide wisdom for right living. If you look in the very beginning of your book in in Proverbs chapter 1, it talks about the author, Solomon, says this is for wisdom, this is for learning, this is, and then he goes on to say, this is so that youth can grow in understanding and wisdom. These are principles. And so, so many times I've seen it, and you have too perhaps, where you have a godly set of parents and they love their child so much and then somehow, some way, they turn away from their parents' Uh, teaching of their faith and go their own way. The myth is that if you're a godly parent, then that's going to guarantee that you have godly kids. That's not the case at all. Um, There's factors that all come into this. For behavior science, uh, 
B.F. Skinner is a behavioralist uh, uh, psychologist, and he, he talked a lot about the importance and understanding of environment. That environment does have a major indicator of the outcome uh, and the behavior of those around in that environment. So it is true that if you are a godly parent, your probability that your kid is going to be a godly kid when he grows up is very, very high based on the environment. We set the stage. We set the example. That's our, that's our greatest influence we can have as parents. But there's also this reality of the human choice. Every kid has a choice to make. And so we can't choose the choices that our kids need to make. We can't be their moral police officer at every season and stage of life. They've got a choice. And then there's this other wild card called genetics. For me and my, and my family, and for those of you that have adopted or fostered a kid, you can raise a kid in a godly environment. You can um, encourage them to make right choices, but each kid comes with genetics makeup of who they are that determine a lot of their personality type, uh, their skin color, their eye color, uh, their, their well-being emotionally, psychologically, uh, and relationally, in all sorts of ways. And the reality is, is that all of these play into that factor. And then there's the, the last factor is the God factor. When we think about uh, in making sure that uh, somebody's going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even if they've had a terrible environment, a bad environment, when Jesus Christ comes into that young adult's life or that kid's life, it can change everything. And so we've got to understand this godly parenting myth, this idea that godly parenting guarantees godly kids, it doesn't hold up, and it wasn't even the author's intent that it would be a guaranteed promise. And so we've got to realize this before we get into the rest of the text. The next uh, myth is that good parents need to develop peak performers. And there's a myth out there right now that in American culture especially, you see it with the onslaught of uh, club sports where the parents are going all in and all out to ensure that their kids are the best. Time Magazine recently did an article story about a, a 10-year-old boy who's uh, being coached by pros and the family spending thirty to $40,000 a year to ensure that this kid's got a, a, a great chance at being a pro. The reality is, is that we in American culture, we emphasize peak performance so much, even educationally. And I think about it in my own life. In the last seven to 10 years, nobody's asked me about my GPA. Nobody's asked me how well I played at sports. And the question is, is that I want to push back on for you, is that what are you, what is your goal in parenting? Is it they become the peak performers, the very, very best in everything they do, the top of the school, top of the sports team? The question is, is why do we want that? And I think the, a great goal for parenting would be something like this. The goal for godly parents should be to teach their kids to become independent of them and dependent on God. I think that's the goal of parenting. You want your kids to grow up to know, to love, and to follow Jesus Christ. And as a parent, I want to help provide some help as we look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes with very clear instruction, and he says this, He's speaking to a mixed audience and a congregation filled with children and with adults. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life, long, long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction in the Lord. I think there's some priorities here that the Apostle Paul gives us in order to understand how to survive parenthood. First, I'd like to say is that number one, that you keep the rules clear and consistent. Keeping rules in your household are going to give clarity so the child, your child, knows how to obey. A kid can't obey unless you tell them. The implication is of that passage, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, is the implication is that there's clear guidelines. There's clear indication. Leslie and I need to be on the same page. It's hard to be consistent if the parents are not on the same page. In in this time when everybody's at home, part of this is a blessing because we have more time with our kids. But part of it is a great burden. And it's incredibly difficult because kids are at home all the time. They're trying to work. They're trying to get online. Uh, Maybe you're now being challenged and tasked to read at least half an hour a day with your kids or more and and walk them through educational uh, uh, programs. I've heard from many moms in our church and say, I didn't sign up to be a math teacher, a science teacher. My kid thinks I'm the best, but I feel like I'm the worst. And the reality is, is this, this can be really challenging. And so when it comes to household, there needs to be some clear rules and some consistency. One of the things that kids can do oftentimes is try to divide and conquer. They'll go to mom for one thing and then go to dad for another thing. Whoever's the easiest one and the surest pathway to get the yes, that's who they're going to go to. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.1 is children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1 says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children are to obey their parents for a couple of reasons. The first is that it's just right. It's the right thing to do. And when there's clear rules and consistency, then they understand what is right and what is good to do. The Apostle Paul is not addressing simply the church in Ephesus, but he also addresses the church in Colossae. In chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is another reason as to why kids ought to obey, and they need to know about the rules and, and what, the, the, what, the, what the rules of the roof are. You've probably heard that said, as long as you live under my house, these are the rules that you need to abide by. I think that's completely fair and fine. As long as a parent's not being harsh, domineering, rude, or mean. And by the way, the Apostle Paul is incredibly progressive in his view of children compared to the Roman culture around him where the father was much like a dictator. He had the absolute authority. It was a domineering, disregarding uh, value of life for a child. Uh, The Apostle Paul tells fathers that they need to be loving and kind and not provoking their children. And so... In this Christian family household, children ought to obey their parents in everything. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. As a kid, uh, when you obey mom and dad, you're pleasing the Lord Jesus. It's pleasing to him to see you walk in that. And this will pay off later in the future when you have a boss who's asked you to do something that maybe you didn't like to do. 
If you've never learned how to follow rules, if you've never learned how to submit to authority, then guess what? You're probably not going to submit to authority in your workplace in the future or with your teachers or with your, at school. In Proverbs 13, 1, it says, intelligent children listen to their parents, but foolish children do their own thing. The reality is, is that um, you're going to be more intelligent, kids, when you choose to listen to your parents. It's incredible. When you do your own thing, you're going your own way, there's incredible devastation and destruction. It's dangerous. That's why the Apostle Paul said, this is the command with a promise, that if you do so, you can live long. There's a sense of stability and health and right living, a godly living, healthy living, good living when you're following those households. So my encouragement to you parents is this, is make your rules clear and consistent. Now, in my household, Leslie's got like a rule book. She changes it from time to time, and I'm glad she does because at each season and stage of life for a kid, rules need to be modified. How they use electronics, what they watch on television, what they listen to, how late they stay up, when do they go to bed, when do they wake up, how many chores do they do. And what I've learned is that if Leslie and I can get time together as parents to be clear and then communicate that to the kids and then try to be consistent. If I fall down and break all the rules, that dishonors my wife. If she does the same thing, that dishonors me. That leads us to our next point. The Apostle Paul talked about the importance of honoring mom and dad. And last week in the Mother's Day message, I mentioned that. And today what I'm doing is kind of talking about the importance for parents to show kids how to honor from the home. If we want our kids to honor, parents, I'd encourage you to live honorably, to show your kids how to honor. You can do this by simply uh, modeling what, uh, to how to honor one another. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Rome. He says, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves, meaning it's important to honor one another constantly and continually. Does mom need to be honored? Does dad need to be honored? Absolutely. But what about the rest of the people in the household? For every Christian ought to seek to outdo one another in honor, to give recognition, to defer to. And one of the greatest ways as parents that you can teach your kids how to live honorably, show honor to mom, to dad, to others in the household is by you showing them. You might have heard the phrase before, monkey see, monkey do. Well, those little monkeys of yours, they're watching. They're looking at you. And the reality is, is that one of the most powerful behavior uh, learning methods is observation. It's called observational learning. And so the reality is, is that one of the best ways that your kids are going to learn how to honor is by watching mom and dad. It's that environment factor that B.F. Skinner, the, the psychologist and behavioralist, talked about. The importance is when you set up this right environment, the chances, the probability, the statistical opportunity for your kid to follow in your example is incredibly high. If you live dishonorably as spouse to another or as a parent to your boss or to other employees, you badmouth them, talk bad about them, and you're living it with dishonor in your home, it's going to trickle down. 
it's uh, recently I heard a kid at a grocery store drop the F-bomb, and I thought, oh my goodness, I have not heard a kid do that. Then turn around, and I see mom and dad are, are cussing like sailors. The reality is, is that when we show them behavior, they'll choose oftentimes that opportunity. Um, Leslie and I are always seeking to honor one another in, we are the, in any way that we can. It could be in the small things or the little things. Uh, it could be just uh, pausing for a moment when, when she's grabbed all the groceries or she's done a really great job, maybe sit down and, I, and she's not home yet, send her a text and just say, hey, the house looks great. Thank you so much for doing all, all this work. It's great to come home to a nice, clean home. And if my kids see me text, they think this is how you treat a spouse. This is how you honor. I want to encourage you to do that. When the Apostle Paul says, honor your father and your mother, how do we, ter- how do we teach our kids to do that? We show them. We show them with our own lives. Modeling is leading the way. The most powerful thing you can do, even as a leader, is to lead the way, set the example. Thirdly, I want to encourage you, this is uh, for all parents, but specifically for fathers. The Apostle Paul says this in in verse 4 of Ephesians. He says, fathers. He's directly speaking to the dad. Why is he going for the dad? He's going for the dad for two reasons. Number one, he's going for the dad because the man is called to be the head of the household. He's in charge for the good, for the bad, the ugly. The father's in charge. He's held accountable. You say, well, I don't know if that's fair or is that consistent? It's consistent. When we look at all of sin entering into the world, it falls down on one man by name, Adam. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says, sin it entered the world through one man. And then then he turns around and he says, but through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness enters the world. The, The head of the household is the father. Secondly, the reason why the apostle Paul is dressing fathers immediately, not to provoke their children, he's challenging them Because in Greco-Roman culture, like I said, the father had this absolute authority. I mean, even at the time of a birth, if he would be out working um, anywhere, in a field or in in an office, in in some kind of uh, setting of some sort, uh, and he got news that his wife had a child, he could send a courier back and say, is it a boy, is it a girl? And if it was a girl... Oftentimes, the fathers would discard them. They would uh, have, uh, make sure that that child was abandoned or neglected. And if the father approved, there was this kind of this uh, procedural where the father would take the, the young boy if he liked it, if it wasn't deformed, if it wasn't uh, in, in some kind of displeasing uh, sense to him, he would take the child and hold it up. And it'd be a sign of acceptance. And so, in the Greco-Roman culture, children were like pieces of property. You could discard them. You could set them out on your curb, and it was a culturally acceptable manner, but not in the Christian community. The Christian community started orphanages. The Christian community started an adoptions program, fostering programs. Early on, they said this is an ungodly, unbiblical way to do things. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see a consistency that the Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul now, when he talks about parenting, he drills in on the father. 
And he says this, do not provoke your children to anger. Anger can be a very dangerous thing. In, in James 1.20, it says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Uh, when we anger our kids, provoke them. That means to irritate them, to frustrate them. Uh, they easily go into an angry uh, fit and they can do all sorts of destruction uh, and they can fall into all sorts of discouragement. What does it mean to provoke your kid? What are ways in which you perhaps have been guilty of provoking your kid? I'll give you four ways that I think that are are common ways that we provoke as parents. One is, in our community, I would say is overprotection. And you say to me, what do you mean overprotection? I like to call it bubble wrapping your kids. In our culture, it's the parents that do this are called the helicopter parents. They're flying over their kids. They're hovering around them, making sure that they can't touch anything or get into anything that would hurt them. And granted, we should do that as the kids are toddlers. But what about when they get a little older? Isn't the goal of parenting to help them become independent of mom and dad and dependent on God? And you say, well, okay, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't want them to get hurt. Reality is, is nobody's getting through life without getting hurt. And sometimes the greatest teacher is is hurtful or painful situations. My hope is all the time is that my kids would learn how to make stakes and they wouldn't be Uh, catastrophic consequences, but they'd be painful mistakes so that they would learn from it and then move forward and I can help them coach them on. Overprotection or bubble wrapping your kids can be incredibly dangerous. What it does as the kid grows older and this provokes them is it diminishes trust. The kid begins to think, mom doesn't believe in me for anything. Mom thinks I'm a baby. Dad doesn't trust me at all. He doesn't think I'm a good young man or I don't have what it takes. And so the kids begin to build barriers and it provokes them to anger. This overprotection, while it may seem nice, good, and fair, it's important as a parent to evaluate what's provoking my kid when he acts out in anger. Oftentimes when the kid's acting out in anger, it's a sign something didn't go right. And we as parents, rather than give harsh tones and mean remarks and go to your room and cry it, cry and don't come out until you stop, we're punishing their emotion. And crying and being upset is a natural emotion. And there's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. And when our kids are upset, it's our importance that we're to learn and to try to understand what they're going through. But we're challenged by the Apostle Paul as as we read today's scriptures, is that fathers are not to provoke. It it, it can be incredibly damaging. Another way that we provoke is through what I would say is playing favorites. And every parent does this from time to time is one kid's easier to raise than the other. And so you just love and you snuggle and you cuddle and you hug and you give extra rewards and extra opportunities for the kid and you chalk it off perhaps as good behavior gets more rewards. And don't get me wrong, I understand a reward system, but sometimes playing favorites can do a world of damage. And many of our, us would say is, no, I love all the kids the same. And I believe that is true most of the time when parents say that, but we can still unintentionally play favorites. 
And over time, what that does is that builds a deep level of resentment and bitterness. And, and the Bible tells us that when, when there's a foothold of bitterness, it's a foothold for the devil to come in and to set up shop and begin to do a lot of discouragement and despair in the life of that kiddo. And so I'd encourage you, fathers, don't overprotect. Don't play favorites. And number three, I'd say, is this pressure to perform. It, we can provoke our kids by putting way too much pressure on them. You better make only A's. You better make A's and B's. Or the soon, as soon as they make all A's, you say to them, uh, well, you made A's here, but you made one B. What's wrong with that B? You need to get that B up to an A. And then at the same time, we're saying to them, well, hey, I, I see the, the people on your team are playing really well, making more points than you. Let's work with you. You need to make more points. And there can be this pressure to perform. And what this can do with the kid is create a performance mentality or a good works relationship, not a gospel relationship. And this can lead them to being provoked to anger, this pressure to perform. And the last one I would say that is popular in our culture is this a failure to fill the love tank of the kiddo. I've talked about this many times before, but it's important that you learn your, the unique design of your own kid. Words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, physical touch, gifts. How does your kid respond? And what can you do to make sure as a parent that you're filling that little love tank of that kid? As you do that, if it's words of affirmation, good job, I'm proud of you, the way you completed A, B, and C. Or I'm, if it's gifts, you're given gifts. Each kid has a unique design. When Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they should go, two, two implications of that. Each kid has a unique design, and training up a child in the way they should go also means is that there is a right way to live. And for, as a parent, we can provoke our kids if we just neglect them and fail to fill up that love tank. What can happen is in Colossians 3.21, it says, fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Discouragement is a, an incredible uh, uh, vice, a, a challenge for a kid. And we never want to see a kid get to a point where he's deeply discouraged or she's deeply discouraged. Proverbs 18.14 says this, that the human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Last thing we want to do is we want to break our kids' hearts or crush their spirits. Do we want to bend their wills? Absolutely. We've got to challenge them, exhort them. But crushing a kid's spirit can come across in just a harsh tone. Recently, uh, I was studying for this message. I was in my room and I was working and I had told everybody, please don't knock on the door. Please don't disturb me. And I heard a knock on the door within the first five minutes of my request. Who was it? It was my little Maya bear. And she said, Dad, I want to uh, just ask you a couple of questions. And I said, sweetie, I told you I need to study. Please don't bother me again. And so she goes away. About 15 minutes later, maybe she forgot. I don't know. She knocks on the door. I hear her. And I am this close to yelling out a harsh tone. Would you quit knocking on the door? I didn't say it. I'm surprised I didn't. I'm thankful to God I didn't because when I, I opened the door, I saw this picture of her. I, I saw her, and this is the picture of her. She was dressed up, decked out, 
she looked beautiful. She had this gorgeous dress on and she said, I'm sorry to interrupt you, daddy, but Riley dressed me up and I thought you would just want to see me. Do I look pretty? And my heart melted in that moment and I said, oh my goodness. I'm so, I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad I didn't yell at her in that moment. Can you imagine that? She dresses up, she dolls up, she comes to the door, she can't help it. She thinks that I want to be interrupted and she shows me how beautiful she is. And imagine if I yelled at her, go away. I could have crushed her little spirit. And then soon enough, as I see how beautiful she is, then my other daughter decides it's a fashion show. So she comes up and she looks equally as beautiful. And so the reality is, is that we're challenged by the Apostle Paul. Fathers, don't provoke your kids. They can get discouraged. And then the scripture tells us as well in Proverbs, the human spirit can endure sickness. We can get sick, but we can't survive a crushed spirit. Crushing the spirit of a child is one of the hardest and the harshest things that, that can happen. And so the last thing I want to challenge you is this, is that our challenge is not simply not to provoke. There's a positive here too. It's to bring them up in the faith. Our challenge, our ex- exhortation is to bring up our kids in the faith. It's not to break them down. It's to bring them up. The Apostle Paul uses this language, and this language is used in Ephesians. It says that literally in Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And that word training and to bring up is this idea of nourishing and caring. It's, it's literally hand feeding in a sense, a, a kid to be able to grow and develop at each stage. And then there's that word training. It's the uh, ideal of discipline, that it's a dedication. It's an ongoing practice that we're to do. And as parents, as fathers and mothers, we're challenged not to break them down, but to bring them up. And we can, we can do this. And one way we can do this is by not hiding from them the good truth and the lessons that we're learning, but revealing to our kids how we're growing and and, and developing as uh, Christian followers of Jesus. Psalm 78, four is one of my favorite Bible verses. And it says this, we will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. As a parent, what you want to do is you want to tell your story. You want to tell your story of why you love Jesus, why you follow Jesus, why you're faithful to each other as a, as a, as a married couple. Parents, you have a powerful influence. Your greatest impact that you're going to make in this world is by shaping the soul of another. What a divine privilege. What a sacred opportunity. What a godly and a good quest for you. And that is a Uh, an opportunity where you can simply tell your kids. And so from generation to generation, we are together bringing up our kids in the faith. I wanna, before we close out, I wanna pray for you as a parent uh, to be able to not simply survive, but to thrive in the midst of this crazy season. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all the parents right now that have gone through a tremendous amount of stress and uh, world-changing Uh, experience, Father. I pray for blessing, protection, help, healing, health, 
prosperity, encouragement, uh, opportunities, Father, for them to get back to work, to continue to strengthen and love and to shape and encourage and build up their kids. And Lord, we pray for all the kids that they would be encouraged, edified, and built up as well. In Jesus' name. Well, hey guys, it's been great being with you today. I wanna encourage you to continue to live out your faith. Take this opportunity as you are uh, home together a lot, whether you're back at work or you have more opportunities or you're at home and you're still staying at home, take this opportunity to develop those relationships to continue to grow together as a family. At the foundation of our country is a family. The foundation of a state is a community. The foundation of a community is a household, and the foundation of a household is a husband and a wife with their kids being able to build up a godly generation. Let's continue to do that in our church. To Christ be the glory in the North Valley. This is Pastor Ryan. Let's continue to worship as we continue in our service. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.